Welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. I'm Scott Noons, your host for this special surprise episode featuring Rochelle Denae Poth, author, speaker, blogger, and friend of the podcast. I had the pleasure of connecting with Rochelle in person at ISTE and she's amazing and so we're absolutely blessed and privileged to have her on the show but also i want to talk just briefly about what's going on on twitter right now with uh donors choose so this last week i think it was on the 13th the bill and melinda gates foundation they matched every single donation on donors choose by 50%. So if someone donated $100, they contributed an extra $50. I thought that was pretty amazing. I don't know what the full results of that were exactly, but I would imagine that they were pretty significant. I didn't really follow up to check, uh, but hopefully some of our listeners benefited from that. And I'm pretty sure some of our listeners have benefited from the clear the lists hashtag. So it goes hashtag clear the lists. It's through Amazon. You create a wish list on there and then you share it out. And people like our good friend of the podcast, Andrew Revelo, share it out. Also, our other friends on Education Podcast have done the same thing. And they've helped get a bunch of lists cleared and essentially help teachers get their classrooms funded. And so after you listen to this episode, I'd love for you to hit us up on Twitter at TNT EdTech and let us know what your thoughts are on that. Are you for that? Are there lists that you want us to share out? If there are, let us know. We'll retweet and we'll see if we can help you clear the lists. So a quick note to add, at the time of recording, I misspoke and said that Rochelle's newest book is in other words, but in fact, it is her book, The Future Is Now. Be sure to check it out on Amazon, and be sure to check out Chapter 5, where I have a small but meaningful contribution. A big shout out to Rochelle, and a big thank you to her for having me in there, along with EduMatch Books. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rochelle Denae Pope. Hey guys, welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. We got a lot in store for you today, and I'd like to welcome our guest, Rochelle Denae Poth. How are you, Rochelle? I'm great, Scott. How are you? Uh, doing great. And before we get into it, um, I want to give our listeners a little bit about you. So Rochelle is a master at the reflective practice and a true role model um, of what it means to be a voracious and lifelong learner. She's a Spanish teacher, a STEAM evangelist, has a master's degree in instructional technology. She's an author with a Juris Doctor degree, a blogger, an author of multiple books, a contributing author to many more, a consultant, a professional development speaker, an active member and leader of too many educational organizations, and 
this year at ISTE 2019, she got the Making It Happen Award. Congrats on that, by the way. Thank you very much. And by the way, listeners, sorry, I forgot to introduce those words for that intro came directly from uh, the super duper, ever famous DBC uh, generator, uh, Dave Burgess. So this came from the forward of Rochelle's uh, latest book, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, In other words. And so I was able to pick up a physical copy at ISTE and uh, that was great. I'm still digging into it, but I was really moved by that forward. It was very impactful and I think it accurately describes what I know of you. Well, thank you. I was, when I read it, I was just overwhelmed. Uh, I was so grateful to him for taking the time to write it and just all of the words that he put into there. I was like really honored that he wrote that about me. And then, you know, it's kind of just, I don't know, it, it was, very powerful to read it and having that be part of this book because it was such um, a moment in my life where it changed who I was as a teacher after reading Teach Like a Pirate. So to have him be part of this, my own book, uh, was just like amazing. Right. Uh, I know that book has impacted so many teachers, uh, you know, Andrew Revelo, so many more Um uh, that seems to be kind of like this pivotal book for people in their educational careers. I believe Tish Rich talked about it in her book, Make Learning Magical, and how it really helped shape her journey as well, um, and a number of other DBC authors. Uh, yeah, specifically, like, what about the book made you kind of pivot and change? Uh, you know, I, I remember... <laughs> Coincidentally, reading it on the way to ISTE, which in 2015 was my first time attending, and it was also in Philadelphia. And I was on the train. I just got connected on Twitter, and uh, I even took a picture of me with TweetDeck open, doing the chats with the book there. And I read it in that trip, and uh, just with the quotes, the different focus, and it, it kind of opened my eyes. Like I was seeing what he had done, and just listening to the advice he was giving. And thinking like, wow, like I thought I was doing a lot of different things for my students, but in the same token, I was kind of afraid to push back against like traditional methods or strategies or any of those things, um, teaching practices that we have. And reading that, it was the first time I even considered like, huh, I could probably totally change some things and that will be okay. So it gave me a little bit of a kind of like a a kick or a boost. Um, It made me curious to see what else was out there. And so when I got to the conference, I, I feel like, I was more in tune to like different things. Otherwise, I was just going to look for people who were doing things the same way that I was. Uh, That's great. I wonder, how did you make the time to read the book during ISTE? ISTE so overwhelming. Uh, That's amazing. That's a feat in itself. Yeah, it uh, the train ride itself, I think, was it ended up being like six hours. And that was my first attendance at the conference. And so I was not nearly as busy as I was this year since it was my fifth year. So I did some volunteering that first time, um, attended sessions, and I was already involved with two of the networks at that point. So I still had some things going on, but I wasn't anywhere near as uh, overly scheduled as I was this year, which was fantastic. Uh, you know, it's about the opportunities, and those connections that we make. But I did find time when I went back, you know, or had some downtime to sit down and read because it was a book that I really didn't want to stop reading. So I made the time. Right. Uh, and what a great book. What a great uh, PD opportunity. Um, 
you know, I whenever I get into like a really good book, usually it's nonfiction for me. Um, you know, I don't want to stop. And so I can really relate to that feeling. I think many of our listeners could as well. Um, how did that first ISTE differ from this ISTE? Like what's kind of changed? Like walk us through your journey a little bit over the years of ISTE. Yeah, you know, the first time I went, I didn't really know that many people. Um, in Pennsylvania, we have this program that different principals uh, can nominate somebody from within their district who they think is, you know, really putting themselves out there, integrating technology, and uh, nominate them to become part of this uh, innovators group. And so in 2014, I was nominated, and then I moved on, and I was selected as what was called a Keystone Star. So we went to a week-long summit. And, you know, I met a lot of educators from in and around the Pittsburgh area as well as throughout the state prior to going to ISTE that first time. Um, also, because I started to be connected with some of the PLNs, I had some, you know, Google Hangouts with different leadership teams. So there were maybe 10 to 15 people I probably knew that would be attending, but ISTE is so big, the chances I thought of seeing them. And I remember walking when I got there to go to registration and the first person I ran into was a woman who has now become one of my greatest friends. And uh, it was just having that connection point, seeing a familiar face. And then as you walk through a couple times, you'd see somebody and you're like, hey, they look kind of familiar, but you build your connections. And I've noticed that with each year that it's harder to walk from point A to point B because you're getting stopped <laughs> along the way or you're seeing people. And so that's the biggest thing that I notice is like, once you put yourself out there, you you have to keep your eyes open and not just for the opportunities of where to learn, but you might be heading to that session that you don't want to miss, but on the way you run into 10 people that you met online through, you know, Twitter or wherever. And you have those conversations that I think far exceed the value uh, that you might've had from going to that session. Not that there's anything wrong with the sessions, but it's not about specific sessions per se. It's just about the opportunities that you come across when you least expect it, I guess. No, and I think you're absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that up. So last year was my first SISTE, and oh, wow. Uh, I did just like wall-to-wall -wall sessions. Like, okay, I went to this one, to that one, to this other one. They were just back-to-back-to-back-to-back, and that was my whole ISTE experience. Uh, this was before I was really on Twitter. Like, I had an account, but I had like two followers before ISTE last year and I got up to eight by the end of ISTE so uh you know uh, exponentially I did great right right <laughs> but I didn't make those lasting connections and um like you through Twitter um I really formed these relationships and through different conferences and so when I went this year I very much had some experiences like you described where going from point A to point B, boom, I ran into people, started having these conversations before I knew it. Oh, I missed my session, but I was open to that experience and I'm so glad for it because now I've only deepened the bonds of my professional learning network. And um, as I've seen you and some others do online, really that network has really transitioned into a family. And I, I don't mean that lightly. Um, I honestly feel that for me, the people that I'm meeting at these conferences are more like family and the friendship supersedes the friendships that I have at my local site. Do you ever yeah. experience that? Oh, absolutely. And I've said, you know, I have a core group and we're always tweeting out like my 53s, but we've 
form this connection and you know they are like my they are, they are my best friends and i see them more frequently than i see some of my friends it, that i live you know in the town that i live in or even just in school it's so hard to make those connections we're so busy but somehow it's weird how that works out that you end up interacting more with people who you've met from wherever else and you form those really strong connections that can happen and uh using tools like like Twitter or even Voxer where you're having those conversations and it doesn't even feel like so much time has passed. Or if you've never met in person, when you meet them, it's like you've known them forever because you're used to their voice and those interactions that you've had that it's like, oh, you know, I've known you forever. Yeah, it's such an odd feeling. How would you describe that to somebody else, like somebody that's not familiar with Twitter, maybe somebody from your own site or like a family member or a friend uh, who just hasn't experienced this at all. What's that feeling like, like going from Twitter or Voxer and having these relationships to seeing the person in real life? It's pretty, I don't know. It's interesting because sometimes you, you don't recognize the person because all you've seen is the small little picture on their profile. Uh, if it's even, if they even have a picture of themselves, you know, some people don't do that, but it's, it's just an awesome moment where you see and you instantly, you know, like a hug or whatever it is, and you're just excited because you've had all this time. And in some cases, it might be three years, and then you finally meet that person. And it's just, it's such a special moment. Uh, even this year, I, I met a woman who I've known on Twitter for probably three, maybe even four years, and she lives across the world. And I only had probably two, three minutes quickly. We said hi, gave a hug, took a selfie. And that was it. But even just in that moment to have that opportunity where in all of that time you didn't, uh, it's just, it's, it's hard to put into words sometimes. And people don't get it. You know, they hear you talking on Voxer or the, the Twitter, and I didn't get it for a long time. I totally misunderstood the benefits that you could get by being connected in those ways. And when I think back to all the people that I've met and all the things that I've learned from those people over the past three, four, five years, and if I took all of that away, uh, I kind of question, like, what would I be doing in my classroom or would I even still be in my classroom? Because that's where I got a lot of new ideas and opportunities for my students. But for people who don't connect like that, it seems or it might sound strange to say, oh, yeah, I met them on Twitter. And you're like, you, we feel that's normal. And other people look at that like, that's really interesting. But I guess if you go way back and think to, I mean, when I was in high school, to make connections with students, you know, when I was studying French, you had to write a letter, your pen pal. So I'd equate it to writing and sending and waiting for those letters all the time. And then all of a sudden, like you get to actually see the person, like that moment where you're like, you exist, like there you are, I know you. It's, it's a pretty neat experience. Yeah, it's so cool. I kind of equate it to either coming into contact with a friend you haven't seen for a while, like maybe a good friend from high school or college, and you kind of rekindle that relationship or maybe like, I think of like back in the day when people used to have pen pals or um, even further back when people would go away on long journeys and they only communicated through letters. And then you finally see that person you've been communicating with uh, in writing, you see them in the flesh. And so that relationship is real. It's not like a day-to-day face-to-face um, in real life relationship, but the bond is genuinely there like one of those day-to-day face-to-face relationships. Right. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And uh, like with your own journey, it's been so transformative for me. So my teaching career has radically changed as a result of Twitter and these relationships and now Voxer. And 
um, I'm blessed to be in one of the same groups as you. And wow, I got to hang with a bunch of those folks uh, like Heather Mars and Don Sturm. And they were so kind. We went around Philly and they were carrying all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. True friends, right? True friends. I, I like could not turn them down. Like I really did kind of need the help and uh, they could see that. I wasn't thinking we did this bus tour. It was an on and off bus tour and I went with all my stuff and they, you know, were very wise and they left all their stuff in the hotel room. <laughs> but mm. I brought everything that I had gotten. So all my swag, I had my swag bag. And then I got one of those super cool, flip grid boots and so oh, we're, yeah. we're carrying that around philly we're going to independence hall and the liberty bell and seeing all the sites and uh they're carrying those items for me so uh, very gracious and you know we hadn't met in real life before then and so right. that was that was so great um and i had some really good times um professionally what else do you have going on i know you have some books coming out some articles where where should people kind of keep an eye out for you yeah i do like to write so i'm involved in some writing projects both in book form or even just blogging i have my own blog site and i also contribute to getting smart as a blogger teacher blogger and define stem uh, so those are pretty regular I will be a featured speaker at FETC in January, and so I've been doing some writing uh, for their publication as well on different topics that I might present on, so things like artificial intelligence, which I've really uh, become a lot more interested in over the past year and have done some research. So just trying to keep busy with books and book studies and our Voxer groups and you know, the ISTE networks, anywhere that I can learn, because in you know, the summer we have that extra time, so why not? Right. Speaking of summer, do you ever, or how do you fight like not feeling guilty for like taking me time, even though like you're so busy and you have these things going on? I know it's like a key time to rest when you have so much going on and so much to do. How do you kind of justify to yourself like, hey, it's okay for me to rest and take this time away from Twitter or Voxer or, you know, greatly lessen it or you know, whatever it is you have going on. I don't really think I know how to do that yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I do, but I, I, I enjoy what I do so much that it is hard to break away because I, I'd like to read or I will force myself. I'll go for a walk and I'll listen. I'll catch up on messages. Uh, one thing I've tried to be better about is listening to podcasts, hint, hint, and, uh, you know, not <laughs> saying anyone's in particular, but no, yeah, yours, of course. And, uh, Don Wetrick has a great podcast that I've, I started to listen to more regularly. So I will take the walk, which is the meantime, but then I'll listen sometimes to podcasts, sometimes the boxer, or sometimes just to music because you do need that break. And uh, I've tried to be better about doing things like that. You know, of course, time with family and friends too, that comes first. Yeah, definitely. I've learned um, that still needs to be a priority even when you have things going on. And so, uh, for example, last night we were out late. Um, we had a little family gathering at the house and so had guests over and then we're up earlier, early for me. Um, we're about three hours apart since I'm on the West right. Coast. Um, uh, but you know, kudos to you. I'm sure you were doing stuff last night too. And you got up, uh, 
you know, it, it's hard to keep going. And I really like how you've modeled for myself and others how to kind of have this balance uh, between work, different professional projects, you know, which feed our interests and our passions and um, just kind of everything, you know, with the family is well thrown in there. It's it's tough, um, but it's so rewarding uh, to get in there. Yeah, it definitely is. But only so many hours in a day and you have to do everything and <laughs> it, it'll fit. Like if it, if it matters, you'll make it fit. Uh, if it's important to you, they say that you'll find a way to get it done and all of those things. But yeah, that balance is the, one of the number one questions people ask is like, how do you find balance or what can I do? And it's going to be different for everybody. So some people need to totally disconnect. I, I can't do that. <laughs> it's hard. I try. But, um, you know, for me, balance means that I keep everything kind of going. It may be a lopsided, you know, breakdown, I guess, of my time sometimes. But if I don't keep up with those things, then I feel completely off balance. And so for me, that just doesn't work. Yeah, um, I know for me, it was kind of hard to disconnect when I went to Hawaii. So the first like three, four days, I was still really active. But then I was able to just kind of decompress and just kind of leave things alone and realize, hey, you know, I, I can kind of hop on and off when the family's like taking a nap or resting or in between activities when we're on the road. Um and really maximize that kind of downtime where I'm in transit and right. get a lot of work done, you know, just being really efficient. I remember watching this YouTube video. I don't remember who the guy is, but he talked about just doing things in like four minute increments, like for his day, like his big things, he would just like crank them out. I thought, wow, that's awesome. This guy like really does maximize his day and then the rest of his day is free to kind of ebb and flow between um his different passions you know not necessarily right. on those major work items right so i've tried to mirror that and i know i've definitely grown still have a lot you know a room for improvement um i want to get better and better i'm not stopping here by any means <laughs> we all do it's just learning as we go <laughs> yeah so i have uh probably a popular question for you how did you get started with writing like doing the different blog articles you've done um, different publications and now authorship it's kind of funny because i never knew probably five years ago maybe i didn't if you said to me what's a blog i I could tell you what it was. I didn't actually know the meaning of it or where the word came from, and I'd never written one, but I started to come across some, and so I was spending some time reading other people's blogs and thought, oh, yeah, I could write a blog, but what would I write about? And about six months after I started to have those thoughts, I was doing some presentations for conferences, and I started to reach out to some of the companies to find out if I could get some stickers or something to either give away or to display just for that recognition in my sessions, and one of them was SurveyMonkey, who I reached out to, and I had, you know, we've all taken those surveys with Survey, I always say SurveyMonkey, I can never say it right, it's so funny, <laughs> so I hesitate to say it, so I'm just going to call it the survey, and uh, anyway, I reached out to them because I had used the tool to create different reflective questions for my students to give me feedback 
about what we were doing in class, also for them to self-assess uh, throughout the year, and then just for some other reasons, even for like a quick quiz. And that was kind of a unique way to use it. And so they asked if I would write a blog, and they were going to send me some different swag, which ended up being really awesome because it was those flying monkeys, which were great until the students figured out how to un hook the, the sound and then the monkeys were doing the screaming across the classroom but <laughs> it, it was worth it but they asked me to write this blog and I I didn't really know what to write about and they gave me some direction and they said it had to be I think between 600 and 1,000 words and I thought wow what am I gonna write about so that was the first one that I, I wrote years ago and then after that I started to just write my own on there was a website at the time, and I can't recall the name of it because it, it changed, but it was just a blogging site, and you could submit ideas, and they would post it. It wasn't for pay or anything. It was just to get your ideas out there. So I just started to write about things we were doing in my classroom uh, as a progression from no tech to a little bit of tech and why I was making those decisions. And then over the years, noticed I really enjoyed writing and the blogging. And uh, when I was 18, I actually thought about writing a book, and I wrote about that in one of the books, how I really thought I could be this author like John Grisham or Mary Higgins Clark and I tried to write books like they had written and it totally was not working so I didn't even <laughs> think about it for years and then a few years back I did have a, a conversation with a publisher about a book and I had some ideas so I, I have done some writing to that book I guess idea and then that kind of faded because I you know we all get so caught up on our our jobs and other opportunities came up so I forgot about it but I kept with the blogging and just continued to look for different opportunities if somebody you know one of the sites said we're looking for guest bloggers I would take those opportunities and submit something um, even just on my own site just adding different short posts once in a while and then some of the companies too would do some guest blogger uh, opportunities and so think in you know, places like Buncee I would often share what I was doing and just start to build and you know, opportunities, you just have to kind of look for them, but still all the while thinking like, what am I going to write about? And I think that's the biggest question that people have is like, I don't have anything to share. Well, everybody does. Even if you just write your one experience and it, it connects with one person who might be thinking like, wow, that was the worst thing I could have done. I don't know what to do. That might just be the one story that they need. And so I have seen such a value in the blogs and uh, not just my writing them because it's great for reflective, reflective practice, but the people whose blogs that I read, like I get so excited when I get notifications that friends of mine have written and I hurry up and I read it and then I want to share it. So I think it's just so important that we kind of learn from them and write our own and just share our stories because that's how we continue to grow. Wow. Uh, that sparked a couple questions for me. The first uh -oh. one. <laughs> no, no, it was great stuff. How do you start with the blog? Uh, this, this might sound kind of funny. Well, it, I will think of different ideas that I've been doing in my classroom, and mm -hmm. and that's that's one way. Now, some blog sites, different publications have different themes on their editorial calendar, so sometimes those are the focus. So I'm kind of mixed. Like if I did something in my class, like let's say I'm doing augmented virtual reality, and I had a student create something that I never even thought was a possibility, those types of things might lead me to start writing about it whether it's even just something quick or sharing out you know anywhere else in my community the networks that i'm involved in but that's usually a good starting point a lot of times if they do have those editorial calendars something that piques my interest so like the artificial intelligence last year uh, topics like gig economy where i don't really know that much about it so it pushes me to explore and do the research and so then you're learning and then you're still doing the writing but honestly a lot of times when i blog 
I will, I rarely sit down and physically type or use paper and write things out. A lot of the time, and Jason Bretzman busted me at, at Summer Spark three years ago doing this. I just, <laughs> I talk into my phone and I record it into a document or into an email. And it might be five different ideas. And I just keep adding to it. And then when I have time to actually sit down, I will copy and paste those into a whole new document and just continue to work on it before I, you know, publish it out or push it out or publish it or whatever you want to say. <laughs> Share it out, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's a great way to start. And I know connecting with other authors, many of them have started their kind of authorship and idea uh by putting it out there on the internet through a blog. So maybe starting on Twitter, then uh, branching out into a blog and then doing that regularly and then kind of finding their their niche, whatever that is, and then going deeper and kind of learning as they're writing like you talked about and going deeper with whatever that passion, whatever that topic is. There was something else you said a little while back uh, and it was about like amplifying and giving recognition to others. Why is that important? I see you do that a lot. You model that um, and your network is so extensive. It seems like, you know, everybody I know and then <laughs> some. Uh, why is that important to kind of give shout outs to people when they're sharing out their own work? Uh, you know, I've been asked that before and actually somebody said to me, do you just automatically retweet everything? They were trying to figure out Twitter. And I said, well, no, I, you know, and they said, well, how can you possibly read, you know, all those things that people are putting out there? And, and when it comes to blogs, I do always read them when people share them with me because I want to, I want to read their story. And so much of the time I find that the topics that people are writing about, especially now are the ones that we don't know as much about. Um, or there's not an, as much information out there that's readily available. You know, as an example, like trauma-informed teaching or mental health and wellness and mindfulness, right. a lot of those topics, there are not a lot of resources. I mean, it takes time to go out and find them. And, and, and how do you know which is the best resource that you should kind of refer to? And I think when somebody shares their own experience and they, they have that, there's that vulnerability piece where they're openly sharing you know, mistakes that they've made or challenges that they've faced, I think that the fact that they're putting themselves out there and sharing that story, then somebody else out there, I mean, many other people out there are going to be having a similar experience, if not themselves, or they know somebody that is, and it's the power of stories that kind of connect us. And so for me, for years, I was teaching in isolation and I, I had a lot of issues with, you know, classroom management and planning and all of those things. And I kept to myself and just, I, I thought that, you know, you got to figure this out on your own. And I didn't have the connections back then. And I think, wow, if I would have let myself connect and break free from that isolation or read more, but I really didn't know where to look. And I think if we're getting this information and we have that capability to just share it and we know there are people in our networks that might need that, I, I try to direct that. And I also like to celebrate the successes and even the failures sometimes. People will say, this was the worst right. <laughs> lesson I've ever taught. <laughs> but even in that, they're still learning and it's learning for you. And it might just be the one thing that somebody else has not tried. And so you need to put those out there because we're amplifying voices for our students. So we need to do that for ourselves too. Yeah, I like that, that amplification of uh, teacher voice, not just 
student voice, but teacher voice as well, or educator voice. I know not everyone necessarily teaches or is currently teaching. Uh, right. You know, at some point, I think down the road, um, you know, in a number of years, I, I see myself getting into a more techie position or being kind of split. I think that's probably ideal, being partially in the classroom, partially um, coaching. I just really like ed tech. And I like how you mentioned AI. That's something I get really big into. So for my sophomores, the whole first unit is dealing with science fiction. And I bring in AI as part of that because there's so much. And then I can always layer on these older stories with new stories and show, hey, this is how Ray Bradbury's vision is coming <laughs> to fruition right now. Yeah. Uh, like it's kind of crazy and then that sparks these great debates and then just the information from my students is pouring out it's in abundance yeah um, and i'm really able to achieve this kind of low floor high ceiling engagement and that's where i want to be at all year long and i'm not there yet but i will be and a lot of that comes from people like you sharing out what you're doing best practices things like that and also um, I wanted to hit on a key part you mentioned failing like you know what do you do when when that happens when you fail how do you recover how do you use it to uh, shape what you're going to do next um, how do you personally um, overcome or leverage or deal with failure it's not easy obviously just because nobody likes to fail but and, you, and I have a lot of experiences failing at things, uh, whether in elementary school, high school, and even as an adult, there are different, definitely some things that I've really tried hard, put everything that I had into it and still failed. And I've learned that just watching, especially this past year with my students, afraid to make a mistake or just saying, I don't right. know, I'm going to fail. And that big, that fear of that failure and I've noticed it increase over the past couple of years and thinking back to my own experience, I, I know that I've shared with them a lot of times like, oh, okay, you know, the, uh, my parents taught me that the more that you put into things and you do the best that you can, then if you try and you fail, that's okay. Even though grades are going to say an F as long as when you walk away, you know that there wasn't anything else that you could have done. Like you did the best that you could. Now, what do you do with that failure? Like, was it based on the test or the structure that you had to share the information? Um, or was it just that you didn't prepare and telling my students like, okay, you failed. So what did you learn from that? Uh, how can we, how can we improve? And I failed geometry two of the six grading periods in ninth grade. And it was terrible getting those red ink, low grades. Mm -hmm. But all these years later, I still remember the content. I just could not put it into whatever that format was for the test. And so, uh, and even experiences, you know, from then until now. So just trying to remember, like, it's okay. It's not the end. You can still go beyond that, evaluate what you did, reflect on what you did. And then how can you use that as a message to others if they're feeling like, oh, my gosh, I failed or I'm going to fail. And use that to, to kind of, like, lift your students up or to support them and say, like, I know how you're feeling. Like, I've been there. And just be a model for failure is not, what do they say? Failure is not fatal or something or final or I can't recall anyway it's a good quote <laughs> yeah no I've heard that one I want to say it's not final is is yes. what it is or I've heard it used that way anyways if that's not the official quote 
and I, I think you're spot on there. And I like how you bring up high school because that's what I teach. That's where I started really having some significant failures. You mentioned math. I can think back to my sophomore year. I had geometry and um, I had failed a quarter of math. So one of the grading terms my freshman year. And so that was really hard. I started to develop math anxiety and um, did not like it anymore. I used to really excel at it and it became a hardship. And anyways, in sophomore year with um, geometry, I had been doing fairly well. I had a professional tutor, got a lot of outside help and had an A in the class. I was really proud. I was working on my GPA, trying to get into a good school for college. And then this concept of proofs came along and Oh, I bombed that test. I got a six out of 200 and I tried so hard and I felt like I knew this subject and I just couldn't articulate it. I couldn't, for whatever reason, memorize the exact verbiage that needed to be used. Conceptually, I felt like it was adequate, but it didn't meet the teacher's like standards for sharing that out. The verbiage wasn't exact and for her, it needed to be her exact description of a proof and so I failed with that and that brought my A down to a C and that was so hard Uh, so I still passed but uh, it killed my GPA and then also that semester I got a D plus in art and that was a class I tried the hardest in I did every single assignment I did all but one of the extra credit assignments and it was because of this math class like it felt like the world was crashing down on me and I'm trying so hard and you know my GPA shot that semester and here I am a sophomore like no woe is me how am I gonna finish up strong my uh you know junior senior year if this is happening to me now my sophomore year with me giving it my all so it was a great learning experience um, yeah, it doesn't make you feel too good, though, when you're going through it and thinking like, oh, my gosh, I just got this F. Like, this is terrible. Yeah. Uh, but if you can use those experiences and bring something positive out of it, I think of my professional career, too, before teaching. I was a graphic designer. and I failed miserably at that. <laughs> I gained a lot of good technical skills, but... I just wasn't good at marketing myself and a bunch of other things. And now I use those experiences uh, as kind of stepping stones towards what I'm doing now. And I'm so much more efficient because of the lessons I learned during that, that tumultuous time. And so what are some future projects you have going on? Well, uh, <laughs> Let's see, planning for ISTE 2020. Nice. No time like the present, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, some conferences in the fall. I'm really excited to go to the Teach Better conference in the fall that's being held in Ohio, so the first one. And I know there are a lot of people going to be there. A lot of the DBC authors will be there, the Teach Better team, of course, and then some of the four o'clock faculty and some of my connections from Pittsburgh will be there. And you know, heading into a new school year, hopefully with some new ideas. Still doing the writing and the blogging, uh, currently working on a couple other writing projects and things. You know, when you get these ideas and we'll see how that goes. But uh, the one thing that I really love from the recent books that I've written is that I had students involved. And that's something that I wanted to do for a couple of years. And I actually had some students do a few blogs for the year. And 
it's kind of interesting that we use Kidlog and they use that to do some writing for Spanish. And some of them were like, I can't, I don't want to have to do this. And why can't we just write on paper? I said, you're essentially doing the same thing you would do on paper. It's just you have the convenience of being able to do it like right in your hand, wherever you are. Uh, but some of them went on and had an opportunity to do guest blogs as a student for some of the different companies like Buncee, uh, storyboard that formative. And so it was nice to get their voice out there and actually even Nearpod too, where the students share like why these tools make a difference, how they make a difference and the ways the really unique ways that they've come up with using them as creators. So looking to do more of that this coming year, uh, anytime we can share the student voice, I think that's just so powerful. Like it's one thing for me to say, Hey, this is the greatest tool ever. But when you hear from a student, who says, you know what, like, I, I remember the content or I remember making something using this and it attached that meaning. So I love sharing their stories. Um, so that's definitely one of my top things. And just keep on keep on looking for opportunities to learn and to connect, really. No, that's great. And um, I had some notes here. One thing I wanted to ask before we finish up, you had talked about like SEL and some some different related topics like mental health and these little lesser known topics. And it made me think of a book that I really liked. And you had also talked about like teacher voice and stories and the impact of stories. A, a book I really like, The Fire Within by Mandy oh, yeah. Freilich. Her book, wow, that really impacted me. There's a lot of just good stuff in there. The teacher stories, they're all varied. They're all over the board. Everybody has a different story and they impact you differently. And I think the one that in, impacted me in that book the most was one by uh, Jennifer Cassis Todd. And that one just resonated with me so much. And so uh, what she talks about and there was something I could relate to and just seeing how she dealt with it in her own way I was blown away like wow like I've known some people who've had similar uh, experiences to that and so that really gave me some insight like wow this is what this person was going through like wow I had no idea um, that something like that could be so devastating and kind of hold somebody up and she was just really raw and real about the experience and so I really like that and um, Jennifer Cassis Todd has her own book out social media and that's another good one for people to check out and talks about just kind of paving the way and using social media and uh, different technology to do that right yeah those are both great books and the power of the stories within Mandy's book uh, just like you said you know, reading them and there are a lot of people who are my friends and I you don't know everybody's stories and so it's hard to figure out everything about somebody until they share their story and reading theirs I remember I was reading that book on the way home from a conference one time and it was just like you said you you read and you're like wow like what people go through and how they then use that for what they're doing now or some something you know a, a mission that they go on or something that changes within them that they use it for good for somebody else or it turns into a positive, like something that can be so negative and so difficult to experience that they then turn it around. And um, yeah, you just read those stories. And even some of my students actually 
one who wrote a chapter in the book that's coming out next week and also co-wrote a chapter in the book, in other words, uh, submitted a writing for a book that Mandy is hoping to do kind of as a a follow-up to that where it's students who are sharing their experiences related to some of those issues. And so uh, one of my students wrote a story and reading it, I I was just like, you don't know. And so, um, yeah, just to put those stories out there, I mean, amazing how willing they were to share their experiences and just the vulnerability in sharing that itself. Great, uh, great to read, but you feel like, I don't know, you, you go through so many emotions when you're reading it. It's, but it also pushes you to like reflect on your own life and the, the challenges that you face. And, uh, I don't know, it adds to your perspective, but also your, it heightens your awareness for things too. Yeah. It, it helps you to, um, Put yourself in somebody else's shoes to kind of quote to kill a mockingbird going back to the classroom <laughs> uh, yeah and then with that you can really model empathy and really empathize with others and what they're going through like the more exposure you have um i realize like i've been so blessed um with not having had the same struggles as others like I haven't had a lot of trauma, but for those who do, how do you help those people? I have those kids in my classroom. How can I help those people who are so disengaged and they're just thirsting for, uh, you know, whether it be a little more attention, whether it be just, you know, a, a quick little nap break because they don't sleep at home because their life is so crazy at home. Mom and stepdad are fighting, um, or maybe they're sleeping out of a car. You never know, or they're hungry. Um, so many things. Um, so it's neat to hear those stories because then I can reflect on that and then kind of be aware and gain some other tools to help these students out. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, yeah, the content's important, but I'm out there trying to help students be better for themselves, whatever it is that they want to do. I want to help them reach their goals. Right. Yeah. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, who are some people our listeners should kind of be on the lookout for? Who should they follow on Twitter? Oh, that's a terrible question to ask. <laughs> I know there's so many. <laughs> there's so many, right? Um, yeah. So and let me when, see when if I... I can steer that. Let me say. No, you're fine. <laughs> you're totally fine. But I, I always apologize for at some points in my life being indecisive because if they'll say name one, name two, name three, I always want more or less or somewhere, or I'll find the attorney side of me will kind of find like another way around it. (laughs) So if you tell me name three people, uh, they should be following on Twitter or something. I'll change it to like hashtags or groups because you have more members. So yeah, I might go that route because I could definitely say my 53s, which you, know, you, you need to have that core group that you feel comfortable with, you know, your critical friends. Uh, so whoever that is for you. But I think for me personally, just over the past five years, the groups that I've been connected with and that have led me to make more connections, you know, following organizations, whether you have um, you know, your state affiliate, if there's different agencies in your state, maybe like in Pennsylvania, we have intermediate units, we have remake learning, and there are resources and opportunities for learning across the country when it comes to remake learning and so that is definitely a group that i would recommend following on twitter 
um, ISTE, of course, because you have all of those PLNs and depending on your content area, the grade you teach, your role in education, there, there's just, there's so much information that it can become overwhelming sometimes, but I always said, I'd rather have more and be able to kind of sort through it and find what I need than to not like to look at something and be left without any ideas. And uh, so I would recommend definitely those two. And as far as different groups, four o'clock faculty, PLN, <laughs> amazing educators of which you're a part I of agree. too. <laughs> yeah. And um, EduMatch definitely, which Sarah Thomas founded and that you know spans the globe. And it's amazing how many people that you know within your groups and that are interconnected with these other groups. And then EduGladiators too. I've just yes. met so many people through all of those and it's it's really neat when you go to a conference like ISTE and it's so big but yet it can feel like it's so small because you're seeing all of these people and sometimes you're like wait how do I know you again like was it are you from my state because there's always somebody that looks like somebody you know and you're not sure or you think they couldn't possibly be there but finding some different groups to follow because if not I mean Twitter can be overwhelming but it just uh, JC Maslick said this when we presented, and I was on a panel at uh, ISTE as well, and, and it's just plus one. You know, find one thing, one chat, one group to follow, to start doing, or a blog to read, and just take that one, that first step, and then just continue to add to it based on, you know, what your schedule allows for. Oh, I think that's great. And I, you mentioned uh, the EDU gladiators. Uh, the, I think that's how we met, and maybe formative chat. And just seeing your posts a lot. Um, so you never know where things are going to go. You know, work yeah. on developing those authentic relationships. And you never know how what you're sharing out can impact somebody. Don't be afraid to share. Even if something isn't getting likes or retweets or shares or comments. Um, you know, present your authentic self. And you know, people will find you and you'll find other people to connect with. Uh, the Twitterverse, as some people say, uh, is a huge place. And I can guarantee there's somebody out there for you to connect with. So make sure you follow those hashtags. Rochelle, thank you again for being on the show. You're an absolute pleasure to uh, <laughs> speak with. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was great to talk to you. And, uh, you know, you push my thinking a little bit about things. And so I think I might have to go write a blog or something hey, today, I even like though it. I was going to have me time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But no, it's, it's been great to talk to you and to connect with you. It, it's the in-person. Yeah. Like, you're a real person. Right. I mean, and you talked about how, um, you know, some of these connections are really quick. So when I saw you in the reading terminal market, even though it was crazy, right, I knew I had to at least get that selfie with you really quick. And then thankfully, right. we were able to run into each other a couple more times and we were able to sit by each other during breakfast one day. Uh, that was yeah. great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Definitely, totally agree. Thank you once again for listening to this episode, and please check out our sponsors, Q.org. This has been the TNT EdTech Podcast, and we are powered by Q.